Hello and welcome to another episode of Bank Statements, FHL Bank Topeka's podcast series. I am Jesse Homerding, and today we're speaking again to Stephen Townsend and Sarah Harp from our Capital Markets team to get a reaction to the November FOMC meeting. Stephen and Sarah, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jesse. Happy to be here. Hey, good morning, Jesse. So let's jump right into the most recent Federal Open Market Committee meeting and your reactions to what was discussed. Stephen, will you start us off by explaining to our listeners the talking points from this past meeting? Yeah, so a quick recap. On November 1st, for the second meeting in a row, the FOMC held the Fed Fund's target rate at 525 to 5.50%, which was originally, originally reached back at the July meeting. Uh, other short-term rates, like the interest on reserve balances and overnight reverse repurchase rate, each held this tight as well at 5.4% and 5.3% respectively. And what's interesting is the Fed effective has held fast at 5.33, where it has printed every day since July 27th, or 102 consecutive days, uh, which isn't really the case with SOFR, which we can talk about a little bit later. Uh, and you know, Just looking at the meeting in general, like, like others, I was counting word changes in the actual statement because there were actually so few. There were eight words taken out, 14 added, with the only change of note being the inclusion of a mention of financial conditions uh, tightening, uh, which was attributed to higher long-term invest interest rates in the press conference, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Overall, the meeting results aligned with market expectations. Everything was well telegraphed, no real surprises. And luckily, the government shutdown we spoke at length about last time uh, was delayed until November 17th, so the lack of data wasn't an issue in advance of this Fed meeting. Sarah, do you want to talk about any surprises or curveballs from the most recent FOMC meeting? Honestly, Jesse, there weren't any. Um, I would like to add that prior to the FOMC meeting, uh, the Treasury surprised investors by announcing smaller-than-expected increases to longer-term treasury auctions and indicated a willingness to be more flexible in its borrowing plans. Um, so why this was a bit of a surprise is that typically um, they have a usual, regular, and predictable approach with these. Um, so this change in plans was seen as a positive signal for investors. So and that helped contribute to the rally that began last week in both stocks and bonds. Um, so after the FOMC held rates steady and there were no surprises there, that kind of fanned the flames and furthered the rally. And one other thing worth mentioning, too, from this Fed meeting, there was no dot plot released. Those only occur on the quarterly meetings. So that SEP, or Summary of Economic Projections, we expect to come out after the next Fed meeting on December 13th. Uh, and if we look at the market's expectations following this meeting, uh, to Sarah's point before about many other kind of changes going on, uh, we typically use the WIRP or the WIRP screen on Bloomberg, which looks at Fed funds futures to derive market expectations. And as we record this on the morning of November 6th, there are now no more hikes priced into the market. Uh, and when we look to 2024, the market is now expecting to end the year at 4.43%, or about 90 basis points lower than today. So again, that, that reference is just about four, three or four rate cuts in, in the cards for, for next year. Is there anything else that sticks out from this meeting? Well, so a couple more things on the meeting. Sarah mentioned the rally we we saw in the last week. Um, again, it was largely triggered on Wednesday, uh, which was a combination of many things, right? Sort of a non-hawkish FOMC meeting. Uh, there was a very weak ISN manufacturing report, and to Sarah's Sarah's point earlier, there was lower Treasury issuance sizes, all combined to really lead to a steeper but still inverted yield curve. 
Uh, and, and really, since we released our last episode on October 4th, the U.S. Treasury curve seen some significant movement. Over the past uh, month, we've seen 10-year rates hit as low as 4.48% on November 3rd, as high as 5.02% on October 23rd. And really, these gyrations in such a short amount of time, especially for a 10-year instrument, are exceedingly rare in treasuries, which is one of the most liquid fixed income markets in the world. When we look at the shape of the yield curve, that's also changed quite a bit in the past month. Uh, if you look at the twos, ten spread, it was inverted as much as 44 basis points, uh, as flat as negative 15 basis points, and as of this morning is sitting at negative 25. So honestly, what, what's interesting is October marks the end of the 16th consecutive month that those tenors of the yield curve have been inverted, uh, which first occurred in July of last year. And one other spread that we, we watch, because I've found it's generally more applicable to banks in terms of understanding their possible net interest margin pressure they, they could face, is we look at the difference between the three-month treasury bill and the five-year note, uh, which is currently sitting at negative 84 basis points which is not as bad as it was earlier this year. Back in May, that was negative 191 basis points, or nearly negative 2%. But again, still generally a negative indicator in terms of uh, what members may face in terms of pressure from net interest margins is their deposits are generally priced towards the shorter end of the yield curve, and their loans or earning assets are generally priced towards that longer end of the curve. So other than the FOMC last week, we also had the latest job report print, um, which did indicate a significant slowdown in job growth, um, with only 150,000 jobs added in October. That was actually half the prior month's gain. Um, this, combined with a rise in the unemployment rate of 3.9%, suggests a cooling in the U.S. economy, uh, which all things considered means that what the Fed has been doing is working. So... What does this mean for our members, our community financial institutions? Yeah, I think what's interesting, if you look at that payroll report, includes not only a slowdown in the month of October, but also prior two months net revisions down of a little over 100,000 jobs. So, you know, the past few months, uh, the, the revisions are saying those were slightly overstated in general. You know, some of that was impacted by the auto worker strike. Uh, it's estimated that was about 33,000 of the jobs. Um, but again, still not a lot of strength here. And this slowing employment uh, has been something the Fed's been waiting for, and they've noted several times that this is a pretty lagged effect of their rate hikes. It takes a lot of time for those rate hikes to really impact the labor market itself. Uh, so we maybe are starting to see that finally trickle through. Um, to Sarah's point, the unemployment rate did increase by 0.1% from the prior month. And what's a little bit more interesting and maybe a little bit concerning is the labor force participation rate. Those individuals who participate in the economy uh, of the percentage of those that are eligible or could participate in the economy uh, dropped by 0.1% again to 62.7%, which is the first decline in this pretty important figure uh, since October of 2022. So nothing in this employment report supports the Fed raising rates again. And I think that's important to think about as shifting market expectations that 525 to 5.5% may be sort of the terminal rate in this hiking cycle for the Fed. And now the question we've, we've looked at and talked about is, you know, the phrase higher for longer, what does that actually mean? And Sarah, you might have some thoughts on just kind of what that higher for longer might mean in a historical context. As Stephen mentioned, the Fed effective target range has been 5.25% to 5.5% since July of this year. 
The market is pricing in a full rate cut as soon as June of 2024. So that's 11 months between July 2023 and June of 2024. Historically, this time range is typically just seven months on average between the Fed's last rate hike and first rate cut. We always remember the phrase, past performance is not an indicator of future performance. Uh, but I think that's important historical context for our listeners in terms of the, the higher for longer camp and what does that mean? You know, is it some idiosyncratic um, event? Is it something in geopolitics? Is it something uh, in, in the domestic economy that really shifts and may force the Fed's hand a little bit faster than the market's currently anticipating, uh, which would then put it more aligned with historical context of when we reach a terminal rate? Again, it's about six or seven months looking backwards. Um, in, in terms of the Fed's first action back lower. So we will we'll have to see, right? Where does the data show? What's inflation look like? How does that match up with employment and the labor market strength? Uh, along with keeping in mind, we're going into an election year and, and understanding what's going on around the world, what that could do to debt issuance, what that could do to the U.S. Treasury's cost of funds, understanding supply demand dynamics of things like the auction sizes. It gets really complicated really quickly. And I think it's important for folks to be able to not only understand those very individual differences in things like what a specific interest rate does and how it changes, but also be able to step back through different perspectives and look at the, the overall macro economy to really try and understand what may the, be those large drivers of things in, in the next 12 to 18 months away from the day-to-day -day, uh, movements that we do see in the market. The Fed has had conviction not just in its words, but in its actions, right? Which is a thing that I think Powell and co. have tried to really press in terms of the market's understandings. They have been very cautious, uh, in my opinion, of trying to not repeat mistakes of the past, try not to cut too soon, really try and walk this fine line. Um, again, there's always the risk of something large externally that could happen that could really drive things. Um, but But I think... I think the Fed has done a pretty good job of, of not only, again, being pretty forthright in what they expect to happen, but also in their actions of following what they've told the market they were going to do. Um, that, that plays into other things, too, like the quantitative tightening and the runoff of the Fed balance sheet. You know, Powell reiterated this week that they will continue to main, maintain the pace of balance sheet runoff in both treasuries and mortgages, yep. which is important, right, around what Sarah talked about as far as treasury auction sizes in terms of if you think about supply, demand in the treasury market, that's a very large marginal buyer of treasuries that does not exist. So understanding what that could do to the shape and the steepness of the yield curve is also pretty important to understand. And it does not at this point seem like Powell, Powell and company are looking to sort of maintain or manage the shape of the curve by modifying that uh, QT program. So with the last podcast, uh, we spoke a lot about the 10-year reaching 5% or it was just about to cross over that 5% threshold. So now the market is um, speaking to four spot 5% being the 10-year threshold. So if and when we do, uh, if and when the 10-year does breach that four spot 5%, um, does the Fed, is that a factor for the Fed moving into December? Yeah, I think the inclusion of the tightening in financial conditions in the statement, one of the, a few of the 14 words that were added, does lend some credence to if the curve were to, uh, or long-term rates at least, were to come down. Uh, that might serve as a um, bit of a catalyst, but again, I think it'd have to be a pretty substantial decrease in those long-term rates 
accompanied with other strong financial data, uh, whether it be a stronger labor market and uh, accelerating inflation headed into the season to cause the Fed to um, you know really maybe change course on front end rates based on what the expectations are or what may happen with the with the value of long term rates along with that. And the other thing that's interesting, if you think about it, you know we we've seen now in the past several days as interest rates have decreased in the long end we've seen rallies in more risky assets, right? Not just crypto, but also in equities as folks tend to look at if the Fed has sort of reached its terminal rate hike and interest rates may be coming down. Those businesses and those equities that benefited from lower interest rates uh, may come back in favor um, in terms of other investors outside of the bank in terms of what those markets may do. Okay. So I think just to, you know, kind of wrap things up from from our perspective, Jesse, you know, in, in capital markets, we stay, we're staying quite busy with all the gyrations in the market over the past uh, past month. Um, you know, we, we've continued to see a lot of member interest, particularly in some of the newer products we rolled out earlier this year, such as Puttable Advances and our low loan balance uh, product offerings and MPF. And, you know, even here at the bank, like, like all of our members, we're working through our planning process right now. Uh, and as part of that, we would encourage folks to reach out to our lending desk, their regional account managers, or our member solutions group to help with that idea generation for 2024. They've been working on strategies for next year for, for institutions, particularly around collateral availability, liquidity planning, and liquidity stress testing. I know they've done some really good work. We've presented on at our regional meetings about some of the tools and, and options that are available for them to help us supplement those planning sessions. Uh, so again, would would encourage our listeners to reach out to those folks, uh, get us engaged before we turn the calendar uh, to to help with idea generation for next year. If you are looking for resources uh, to help make any decisions about your future strategies, keep in mind that we do have a resource center on our website that is just full of our quarterly quarterly reports and trends for your community financial institutions in our district. You can also find videos and case studies with real members discussing their uh, liquidity stress testing and collateral strategies. So thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Jesse. Yeah, great to be back as always. 